Hello and welcome to episode four of The Gaming Moguls, the only podcast where you start thinking of colorful little boxes when you hear Old MacDonald's Farm. I'm Mark Teske, your host. Welcome to my co-host, Mr. Jake Kloppenstein. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm well. Was that introduction a little too on the nose? Yeah, I think you did good. I believe in you. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we got a very special topic for you tonight. Before then, I got a really important thing I have to announce to everybody. What is it, Mark? I'm nervous. <laughs> we got a chance to play High Frontier over the Christmas break. We've been promising that for a while and looking forward to it. And we did it. We got it out and played it not once, but twice. Oh, my God. It was wonderful. I thought it was a great uh, game. Yeah, it absolutely lived up to the billing. We're not going to deep dive on this one today because actually I think we're going to devote more time to this in the very near future. But um, suffice it to say that High Frontier is a game with a 4.75 difficulty rating. Super difficult, a huge box. It's really heavy. I've had this in my collection for now a year and a half. And I've been just dying to play it because I think the theme is so cool. And I finally just said, you know what? We're going to do it. And I pulled it out on a night that J-Mac and I were gaming by ourselves and just tore into it and absolutely loved it. And then a couple days later, had the opportunity to game with Jake and J-Mac and Jason, and we let her rip once again. All the J's. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. I would love to play it again, and I'm sure we will. Yeah, for sure. But uh, rules not so bad. Strategy, holy moly. That's going to take a while. But we do it. We do play heavy games. Speaking of gaming promises and games we've talked about in the past, um, we made a few promises a few episodes ago. That we were called on, and I, we at least owe an update on where those things are at. So, uh, to recap those promises, first off, I promised to play Agricola by episode four. Uh, Jake, what episode number is this? Four. We haven't played uh, it yet. Uh, well, I also promised to play Race for the Galaxy by episode four. What number is this? Episode four, Mark. We suck. We just suck. Uh, I even brought it last night, and we didn't play it. <laughs> I failed you, but... We did play Lisboa by episode 10. We actually played that a couple of weeks ago. We got we that did. done way early. And so. we did talk about that. So I don't know that we need to go back into that again. But um, hey, but we're one for three. That's good. One right? for three. And well, That's actually, I, we will get that played out real soon because I'm, I'm very interested in playing both of those. Um, I did knock out Viticulture last night, which is another weird little one I hadn't played. And I love it. Holy moly. Wonderful. And then I have one quick update. Um, I have kind of complained about a certain game that Mark likes a lot that I still really like called Brass Birmingham and Brass Lancashire. And I've complained about the different city cards because you have to know the specific city to play an industry there. I was doing some research on some other games that I've played in the past and I stumbled upon Age of Industry, which I played a few years ago. And it turns out it's kind of a 1.5 iteration of Brass Lancashire. And it only has colors for the different regions. So four or five cities are all grouped under the same color. So it did exactly what I wanted. So I added it to the top of the wish list. And I think it's going to dethrone Brass Birmingham. The component quality is ugly. Have you looked at it, Mark? It's so gross. No, no, I'll give it I'll give it a hand. But I'm worried that that simplification is going to just water it down a little too much. But, you know, what the heck, I'll give it a try. But you can play it on a Minnesota map. They actually have a Minnesota map with the back being Japan. And what's funny is we're the only people that are going to know how to pronounce those things. That must be what somebody from Birmingham must feel like when us Americans right. are trying to right. pronounce some right. of those titles. You don't want to say Shakopee? Come on. <laughs> I'm going to lay a token on Minnetonka. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Mark, what are we talking about today? Right on. Well, we have an interesting topic that I think is going to be somewhat unique out in the interwebs, and we're really stoked about doing this episode. So, We've talked a few times in the past about how excited we are about small box games. 
and especially how excited we are about Japanese small box games. And I would say the undisputed king of Japanese small box games is a publishing company called Oink Games out of Japan. And we have absolutely fallen in love with those things. And uh, Jake and I figured out that we have (laughs) 18 of the 25 of these available titles that have been published by Oink. And so we thought we'd actually take a moment and run down all of them tonight, or at least all of them that we have some knowledge of. Right. We'll briefly mention the other ones, but I think you actually are the one who got me into Oink Games. I think you knew about them before I did. Yeah, so I originally stumbled across Oink Games when I was building what I call my case of holding. You know, the bag of holding in Dungeons and Dragons is that uh, kind of nebulous thing that you can keep stuffing stuff into infinitely and it never really gets full. So I decided to make on a uh, overseas trip with my family a game case. And it's actually a uh, I think it's a Cards Against Humanity case is what it started life at as that I would just put more and more games in there. So I would have a collection of games with us as we traveled that we could play in bus stops or train stations or in our hotel or whatever. And I found that there were Reddit lists out there describing all of the games that people have put in their travel game cases. And one that kept floating to the top was a game, little game called Deep Sea Adventure. Good pun floating to the top. Yes, Deep Sea Adventure. I knew nothing about it and Googled it and went, wow, that's a cute little game. And I wanted something that wasn't just a card game. I was getting a lot of card games in there. And so I thought I'd give this a whirl. And even to this day, one of my absolute favorite Oink titles. And we'll talk more about that one later. But it all started from there. You know, one one Oink game led to then picking up the other Oink games that were easily available in America. Then that led to picking up every one I could in Japan. And that led to ordering them overseas. And well, right. And so it goes. Well, and you're also forgetting when I went to Gen Con last year and this year, I think I came home with a whole bag full of Oinks. Pretty much went That's there. True, and did. most of the employees are Japanese. So there's not a lot of dialogue going between, but I just would grab a whole handful of games and I even got a little coffee mug for one of my favorite games, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I'm just really cool. I'm enthralled by these games. Since then, Jake and I have become collectors of Oink games, and I have a nice little shelf on there. Any that's on our Instagram feed here recently, I posted a picture of my shelf of Oinks. The shoink. The the shoink shelf. Man, they're so pretty lined up on there because they are so artistic. And that is really one of the greatest attributes of these Oink games. So there are some common threads among. They're all different. But Jake, tell us a little bit more about some of the things that make the Oink games special and what they're about. I think personally, Oink Games does one of the best jobs of presenting a cohesive idea about every single one of their games. So they all come in a pretty small box, all has an asterisk on it. There's a few that come in bigger boxes, but the boxes. Two and a half inches by four and three eighths inches by one and a half inches deep. So that's pretty small. Imagine a really beefy, thick deck of cards. It's a little narrower and a lot taller. Yep. Fits right in the palm of the hand. You can even put in your pocket. I put in my jacket pocket a lot when I go. But they are great, simple gameplays, and there's usually not too much complexity. And usually when you teach it to a table of people, they can learn the rules pretty quickly. and You're into the game really fast, which I really like about these games because they're so small. I bring them everywhere. The rules are really easy to read, I believe, and they're presented the same exact way in a kind of telescoping, folding, long rule sheet. But the thing that really draws, I think, you and me into it is they have such excellent component quality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really minimalist and kind of stark, and all of the games look really beautiful all next to each other. They all have kind of the same design elements. And what's weird is all of the components come pre-punched. Because these boxes are so, so small, they don't make you get the sprues and punch out the cardboard. 
you just get them already. Even without the waste sprues and punch boards and so forth, these boxes are full for the most oh, they're part. they're so I mean. packed. I mean, some of them even still have, if you don't pack them right, will have a couple centimeters of, of literize. But they just have a beautiful design. They come in small little boxes. You can put them in your pocket, bring them to a bar, and pretty much everyone seem, seems to like them. Well, and another thing that's great about them, too, is especially when you start collecting these things from overseas sources, is that they're all multilingual, just out of the box. Um, there's one exception to that that we'll talk about. But for the most part, all of these have multiple language sheets in there. So you can pull them out. And even being an English speaker, being that these are Japanese games, you can jump right in and play them. A lot of the games don't have any language dependency at all. Right. Kind of whatever crowd. We have uh, we pulled some of them out with some French family members of ours that dove in and love it. And they were right up to speed right along with the rest of us. Wonderful. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. They're just beautiful designs. I have many design friends who just pick it up and oogle at it because it's just so beautiful. Yeah, they're absolutely little gems. And that certainly draws your eye and brings you in. But what keeps you coming to the table is the gameplay on these things. And they're not all designed by Oink Games. Some of them are relicensed titles. Right. I, I'm assuming the curator is the CEO, Jun Sasaki, who also develop, has developed maybe half of the games, if I'm looking down the title list, maybe a few more than that. Phenomenal taste in picking out which titles to republish and which titles he's going to make himself. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we start with the list? Oink is a Japanese publisher, and we weren't able to find that much information about the actual business. But as Mark said, it's owned and operated, I believe, I think, I believe he's the CEO, by Jun Sasaki. So to start us off, let's just start listing the Oink games that have been published. So the first game published by Oink Games, which I've actually never seen in person, it is Stray Thieves, published in 2010 by Jun Sasaki, the CEO of the company. Don't really know else about this game. No, you know, and I, I, I'm looking at the picture of it right now, and it certainly follows their current design ethos. I mean, it looks like it's something that they maybe published last year. A brief glance at the rules shows that it appears to be almost a knockoff of Welcome to the Dungeon. And Oh, interesting. Yeah, so cool. that's 100% of my knowledge on, on that one, but... You know, a little bit of information. We can read Board Game Geek. We got this locked We are down. great about that. The next one, though, we have actually played. Never realized this was their second title until now. And this has the weird distinction of being the skinniest Oink box. Most of them are in the same size box. This one's little, and it looks funny sitting up there because it's half the thickness of the other ones. And this is the game of deduction and bluffing called In a Grove, where you're trying to solve a murder mystery. Somebody was killed, and... Um, you're not only trying to get away with it, you're really trying to pin it on somebody else. So you do this by choosing different tiles. And depending on what tile it is, you're trying to bluff somebody into taking the same tile you did. And if they if they bite and take that tile, then essentially they're guilty and they don't get away with it and they lose a certain amount of points. And I know that's a bit of a massacre of the rules on that one, but functionally, that's how the game works. And uh, Absolutely. We just played this one a couple of weeks ago for the first time, and uh, it was a lot of fun, actually. Once we figured out it was a bluffing game. Right. So what's kind of interesting about this game is it's a bluffing game, but it only plays three or four, I believe. It's a pretty low player count availability game. And when you're the first person, usually in these kind of deduction games, you just kind of have to just go with something and for whatever reason. But in this one, you can kind of make an informed choice when you set up set up the first turn to try to see if you're going to make everybody bluff or follow you or whatever. But yeah, as Mark said, it's you're just trying to kill people. It's an easy game. For sure. So the next one that was published that is another one we haven't heard of, I promise we've played all but seven or own all but seven of these games, is Hikio Nakamori, which was published in 2012 by Taikai Shinzawa. 
Yes, my Japanese is wonderful. <laughs> I apologize to all <laughs> Japanese speakers out there. But yeah, I don't I don't know much about this game either. I've never actually seen it because I've bought all the oink games I've been able to. Yeah, and actually the translation on it is the Cowardly Bat. And uh, like a lot of oink games, it's a card game of bluffing where you try to piggyback on other players' cards to score the most points. Or so says the elevator speech on Board Game Geek. Again, we can read Board Game Geek so well. So the next one I promise we will talk intelligently about, and that is the lovely pink and yellow box called A Fake Artist Goes to New York, published in 2012. And this has the distinction of being one of the easiest oink games to get. Just saw it recently on the shelf at Barnes & Noble here in Chanhassen, Minnesota. So that's pretty easy to find. It's uh, like most oink games. It's about $25, kind of no matter where you go in the world. It's whatever translates to about $25. And what the fake artist is, is it is a deduction game of drawing. There's a mix of 20 questions along with drawing. So a team leader will pick out what everybody's going to draw. And everybody's an artist, and they're going to contribute to drawing that thing, except for one person that doesn't know what that thing is, and they're the fake artist. But they don't want to get found out that they're the fake artist. So they're going to try to contribute to that piece of art without actually knowing what on earth they're drawing. Everybody has a different colored marker and it gets passed around the table. Everybody makes one line. You make a couple trips around the table and then everybody tries to decide who it is. If the fake artist gets called out, the fake artist has one chance for redemption that if they say what the thing actually was, then they're actually off the hook and they win, meaning that everybody else wasn't subtle enough about trying to disguise what it is that they were drawing. Great game. A lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, it has been ruined for me in that I think you need to have a met some metagame decisions in your game group on this one. I completely agree. Yeah. Jake and I played this late one night with some friends and, you know, it was going fine as long as people were pay- taking, you know, words like drill <laughs> or car or something like that. Uh, it really went off the rails when somebody chose X-Files. Right. Okay, I've never seen an episode of X-Files, so I ended up getting accused of being the fake artist, even though I absolutely knew what it was. But I didn't have a guess what on earth to draw for X-Files. Right, so all we were doing is drawing little aliens and an X and a random guy. It was pretty random. I, I would recommend like taking the cards from Insider or taking some other list of cards from uh, Codenames or something like that and using that as your base for that and not allow proper names. And do that, and I think you'll have a great time with this game, which plays up to eight players. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love Fake Artist Coast New York. The next one that was published was actually a Reiner Knizia design, which I don't believe was first published by Oink Games, but it's called Penguin Party. They published it in Japanese. It looks exactly like all their other design styles with the really clean lines and the kind of minimalist, dark design of it. But I don't know much else about it. Do you have anything to say about the Penguin Party, Mark? I have absolutely nothing to say about Penguin Party. I've never heard of this one. I've never seen this one. It's a card game. I can tell you that much about it with, with penguins. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I bet you it fits in an oint-sized box. Uh, it does, yeah. So Go ahead. We won't, we, we, won't, we, won't, we won't beleaguer them on it. So the next one, which is actually the other oint game that is in the half-size box, is Kobayakawa, which is published in 2013 by the CEO, Jun Sasaki. Well, CEO, and I'd, I'd say lead game designer there, too, because if you look down the yeah. list, you know, at least half of the Oink titles were designed by Jun Sasaki. At least. And he at least has his name on other ones, too, whether it be design or something along the other lines. Correct. But in Kobayakawa, it kind, Kawa, it kind of feels the most like a gambling game. So what you're doing in the game is there's a deck of cards, I believe it's 1 through 15, and there's a whole bunch of metal coins everybody has a certain amount of metal coins and what you do is everybody's dealt a card and you flip one face up card in the middle then you have the choice to whether you're going to bid into the round or not 
if you bid in, then everybody has one round to do one thing. They can draw a card and replace their card in their hand, or they can draw a card and replace the card on the center. And what's going to happen is after this happens, whoever has the highest number wins all the money of everybody that bid in. But what's interesting is the person with the lowest number in their hand, the lowest numbered card, gets to add their card to the center card. So it's really simple, really light game, but it comes with these gorgeous little metal metal discs that are coins and the cards are not too shabby either. This game was actually published by Yellow and distributed kind of more widely, but it shares a little bit of the design language, but it's much more busy and comes in a way bigger box. Yeah, and I have played this one according or at least BG Stats says, says that I played this one. I, I remember having played it and I could not tell you word one about it other than the fact that, yes, the, it comes with a bunch of really pretty metal coins in there. And I remember it being a beautiful game and <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to get it out again. It's so light. It's about as light as games can get. It's more of just like a quick little activity you could play before you go. But if you're going to play with a really big group or somebody that doesn't really want to get into games but maybe likes gambling this kind of feels like it where you kind of risk to whether or not you're going to get something but i like it well and this is one that being a half size box too would you know easily fit in a suit jacket pocket you know suit jacket breast pocket or your pants mm-hmm. pocket or you know a really small place it is pequeño to say the least for sure uh next up 2013 release dib dib this is uh one of the last ones that we've never heard of <laughs> And never seen. It's in a double size box. There's a, there's two games that come in a double double width box. It's not a double thickness box, but a double width box. What is interesting about Dib Dib is, as I was reviewing this one and coming up to speed on it, the idea is that everybody has bags. You put some number of tokens in a bag, and you grab some number of discs and put them back in there, and then you uh, reveal, and whoever has the most discs in there wins, and the other loser gets broken hearted or something like that. This is almost exactly the same game as the later release called Money Bags. We'll talk more about Money Bags later and get more into the concept, but really cool looking. I'd love to find a copy of this, but, you know, I think it's going to be awfully similar to Money Bags. I, I agree. There seems to be a little bit more game here where you're passing certain things around in a certain order, but we'll come back and kind of compare that to Money Bags when we talk about it in a little bit. Uh, for sure. So that is, uh, that is the 2013 release Dib Dib. And that was designed by Jun Sasaki. He's everywhere. The next one is in 2014, which is called Mask Men. It is one of the prettiest looking boxes. It's designed by Jun Sasaki and Taiki Shinzawa. They're working together. And what it looks like on the front is it's a bunch of really minimalist design. Kabuki masks, right? I thought they were Mexican wrestler masks. Uh, It's Japanese. I'm going with Kabuki mask. It's wrestlers. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to say it's 100% wrestlers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's see let's see we can read bgg like anybody else uh welcome to the world of pro wrestling uh, darn it okay so it's been a while since i've seen this God, one by the way this is one that is actually i believe somewhat available in america or has been in the past so correct you, this is another one that's pretty available you may find this one at your local game store absolutely and so mass men has a whole bunch of little looks like mexican wrestler pictures on the front and so what you're doing on your turn is there's i think five different wrestlers and those are five different suits in the game and each one comes with a mask and what you're gonna do is that's that's a little component is you're gonna play a trick-taking game but if you ever play a certain card in a certain order after a certain other card that determines the rank of certain suits in relativity to the other so what you do is you arranged little masks with them stacking on top of each other with showing which suit is the strong suit, the Trump suit at this point in time. 
And so you make a big long pile and then at the end you get a certain number of points for whatever you get. And the goal is to, I believe, win the most tricks. And it's a great little game. I played it a decent amount a couple of years ago. It was one of the first Oink games I bought, but I haven't played it much since. There's some other trick-taking games that I'd probably rather play that are card-based, but the components in this one are absolutely beautiful. It's pretty widely available, and the theme is just about as cute as it comes. And that is Maskman. And I, this is, I think this has the weird notoriety of being the only Oink that we own that I have not played. Oh, weird. I have not played this one. No. Yeah. Which would actually, explain, I started. Which would explain why I didn't know it was wrestlers. This might date it. This is, I think I got this game before. No, because I got into, into Oinks after you got into the group. Most of you just must have missed it. But yeah, Mask Men's an absolutely gorgeous game. The cards on it are beautiful. I'll play it again sometime. I'll bring it to the table. I think you'd like it. It's pretty light, sure. but it's fun that you have a certain hand and you're going to try to play certain things in a certain order, play the suits and cards in certain orders to try to rank your cards up better. Yeah, and I think this is one that you picked up at Gen Con a year ago. I think yes, it was part of that. It was bat. not this past Gen right. Con. It was, yeah, it was 2017 Gen Con, I believe. So why is it that I didn't have you get a copy of this when you were getting those? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know, Mike. <laughs> okay, I so know. speaking of speaking of oinks that got us into oinks, the next one is the oink that got me into oinks. 2014's Deep Sea Adventure. And this is probably the oink game that most Americans could name off the tip of their head, that they've seen all over the place, this and maybe one other. This one is very commonly available at just about every local game store that carries oinks. It's available on Amazon. It's available all over the place. It's a very pretty aqua blue box, and it's a really, really fun push-your-luck, higher-player-count game where the idea is that you're diving down to get some junk, and you're trying to carry up as much junk as you can before the oxygen runs out. The problem is, is that first off, there's a wacky dice that's not a normal one through six, six sided dice. Second yeah, problem, shenanigans D3. It's a shenanigans D3. Second off is that um, the more junk you're carrying, the heavier you are and you have to subtract that off of your rolls. Also, the more oxygen you burn when you're carrying a lot of junk. Because you're breathing heavily. You're breathing heavily. And the third problem is, is that everybody is sharing the same oxygen pool. So. There's a bit of a game where you try to go down, grab something, get back up almost to the sub, and then just sit there and burn oxygen away from everybody else and try to get them trapped at the bottom of the sea. So it's a push your luck and a screw your neighbor kind of a game. (laughs) Right. Um, I I love this game. There has been so many times that we've all been around playing this and it's, you know, devolved into a bullfight where everybody's just, you know, yelling as they don't make their role to make it back in the sub or screaming with delight as they get the perfect role to get back in the sub and uh, just barely made it back. And then the problem is you don't know what you actually carried back with you. You don't flip those tiles over till the end to find out, you know, did I go through all that effort to bring up something worth zero points? Or did I bring back something that's really a jackpot? Because the deeper you go, the more points the stuff is worth. So uh, love this game, Deep Sea Adventure. This is actually a very regular inhabitant of my bag of holding. Yeah, this is actually my, I am going to a brewery with a friend and I'm going to meet up with some other friends there and I just want to bring one game in my pocket. I'm going to bring Deep Sea Adventure. You can set it up. It looks great on any table. Um, it's just a beautiful palette of light blue and you push your luck. And what's cool about it is when you go deep and dive down, you actually hop off everybody. So if there's you kind of leapfrog each other to move, move down further. Yeah, for so sure. You yeah. Can, are all moving down together. It's almost like this weird thing on who's going to scab first and break off from the group and cut back. Well, and to make um, matters worse, you can get down deep and just go, I'm just going to go down one more time. 
And then all of a sudden you roll huge and you leapfrog a bunch of people. And now you're so far down and everybody starts heading up and you can't use them to leapfrog back. Yep. Because you're too far back and then you just drown. And then randomly you come back alive and you deep dive down again. <laughs> yeah, you're safe. But yeah, I, there's, there's no permadeath right. in this game. Yeah, but Deep Sea Adventure is great. I, it's probably not my favorite, but it's a couple of my friends that play games with me's favorite game. So I bring it to breweries and they always have a good fun, good fun time with it. That's Deep Sea Adventure. You can find it anywhere. Search on Amazon. So the next game is another one that we haven't played, but I think this one is similar to another one we're going to talk about later. Absolutely. That game is 2015's Rights. Yes. And this is designed by Jun Sasaki. Um, it's apparently kind of a, a, a prototype almost for startups, which is released in 2017. We'll talk about in a bit. Yep. Uh, again, never seen this game in the wild. Never seen it in person. Never seen it get a game store anywhere in the world. So I'm assuming it exists. But then again, why? I, I think this has been strictly fired by startups. Right. Uh, Troll 2015, I'm going to take a rain check on. And the and the reason I'm going to take a rain check on that one is I have that one on order right now. It's coming on my way to my house. And so I can report back on what this game is. This looks like a cool game. It's a beautiful little thing where thieves are going into a troll's cave to steal some of the giant gems. And there's some pretty gems. And there's the deeper you go into it is uh, the, the more value you get out of it. And it's apparently a remake of the game Dragon Teeth Washer. You know, you, Jake, Which you, everyone's heard of. You've played how Everyone. many games of Dragon Teeth Washer? A thousand easily. Everyone's thousand, played that for game sure. a thousand times. If I were looking at the rules set on this one, I would say this is a cross between Deep Sea Adventure and like some of the uh, adventure games. You know, the ones where you invade the pyramid that are kind of Indiana Jones in a box. Right. It looks an awful lot like those things. So um, I'm excited about getting that one. It looks it's a push your luck. Go in and grab the loot and get out quick before the things go pear shaped on you. And uh, I'm excited about getting that one. So we'll report back. Right. I think we're going to like it. I if, if all other oinks are indications, we've pretty much universally liked these games. Yep. Oh, um, you ready for this one? Our favorite. All right, so the next one was Nine Tiles, which was released in 2015 by Jun Sasaki. So in Nine Tiles, I have taught this game to so many different people. I'm actually banned from playing it with some friends. They won't play it with me. What you're doing in this game is there's everyone has the same set of nine tiles that have six different symbols on them. And every tile has one symbol on one of the sides. But in total on all eight, of the sides, both front or back, there's in total three of every symbol. And so what you're going to do is there's also a deck of cards. And what what you're going to do is you're going to arrange these in a three by three little pattern, however you want. And then you're going to flip over a card. And on that card, there's going to be a three by three pattern with all the symbols in a certain arrangement. What you're going to do is it's just a race to see whoever's going to get that first. And whoever gets that first slaps that card. They get that first to four cards wins the game. And if you get one wrong, that's fine. You put it face down. That's no big deal. But if you get your second one wrong, you're out of the game. The same exact conversation happens whenever I play this game, Mark, and I wonder if you get it too. I teach a new group how to play it, and then I do really well at it because I've put so many hours into this game. This is my (laughs) most played game of last year by a large margin. And then they're like, oh, well, you just memorized the, the the token sets. And I'm like, how could I have done that? There's no, no indication know, on which no one's way. on the back. And they're like, but you just know. And they just get in this whole angry little <laughs> accusatory <laughs> thing. So my new way I'm going to teach nine tiles is I'm actually going to play really, really, really slow the first time. And I'm going to for sure lose. So then when I try the next time, the next go around, I can actually try hard and they won't think that I memorized everything. Shark them and crush them. 
Yeah, this is a game that every time I'm in a game store where they carry oinks, I, I tell them about it and I said, hey, if you ever got a pipeline to getting more oink games, Nine Tiles is the one you want because it is easily the best one of the bunch and it is not commonly available in America. It's it's gettable. No. And by the way, we will tell you later on how to get all of these so that if yep. there's something you hear that you love, uh, we're, we're going to hook you up and tell you how to get these things because there are a few ways to do this reliably. What's funny about this one is I literally bought this one because I was in Japan and I saw it on the shelf and I had never heard of it. Mm -hmm. Full stop. That's why I bought it. I did not know anything about the game. I did not know what it was about. I just knew it was not in my collection and I had to own it. Little did I know. And even the first time I pulled it out, I read the rules and I went, well, okay, this is going to be a thing. It kind of sounds like an activity. I don't know how fun this is going to be. And instantly, the second we put the card out, flipped it over, and everybody started racing and slapping the card to claim it, and joy ensued among everybody, and we played it probably half a dozen times in a row after that. Yeah. This is one that pretty much lives full-time inside my case of holding. Right, and what's so cool about this game is it's one of those games where if you're witnessing the game, if you're not playing it, but you're just watching a group of people play it, you're going to know how to play when you there's an opening. You can watch this game for a minute and a half and you instantly know how to play because it's there's it's so open. You just arrange however you want. And the people say, can I pick them all up? Yeah, do whatever you want. Just arrange them in that order with that symbol. <laughs> however you want to do it, go about doing it. That's the whole game. And likewise, too, it's a game that if somebody's playing in your vicinity, you're going to know because they're going to be having they're going to be sounding like they're having the most fun they've ever had. They're going to be cheering and laughing and yelling and you're going to want to get in on that action. By the way, there's one bit of strategy you left out on this one, and I'm curious if you do this one. Yep. You're actually allowed a a freebie, a mulligan, if you will, a mistake that, oh, shoot, I guess I didn't get my pattern right. And believe me, I take that mulligan when I'm way behind and somebody's about to win. I'll just slap the deck and claim it, even though I'm dead wrong, knowing that I got one to burn. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I use that all the time, too. But my family, I we grew up playing a lot of Dutch Blitz and Nerts. So my family loves speed games and we have been trained very much. And it gets brutal in my family. You don't even have time to throw it out like that. If someone's getting close. They're just too quick. For sure. But yeah, that is that is nine tiles. So if you're ever gaming with me, demand that we pull this out. <laughs> oh, it's an always play for me. Always play. For sure. Uh, number 13. Jake, you had me down as owning this game. I don't own this game. Do you own this game? I most certainly do. Okay. Um, I, you know, I can talk for a minute about it. I actually have never played this one, but uh, it's I'll 2016's The Pyramid's Deadline. Loves me the Pharaoh theme. Loves me the Egypt theme. The I believe it's a push your luck around where you're building a pyramid. Is that not correct? There's a little bit of pusher luck method. So what you do on your turn, and this one's designed by Jun Sasaki, the main guy over there at Oink Games. And so what you're going to do is there's this little die that you're going to roll and it generates certain shaped triangles, kind of like those ones you do in craft class in elementary school where like there's different rhombuses and such. And there's certain rules with how to build your pyramid, but you're ultimately making a triangular shape and you score a certain amount of points for the size of it. So it's a little bit of a pusher luck because you can be the person that plays it last and you don't actually score that much, but it's kind of a spatial, shapey game. Sure. It's kind of one of the weaker titles. I wouldn't recommend it. It's beautiful, um, but it's not one I reach for very often. I think we uh, we do want to put that warning out there because uh, some of you at least will get some oink fever out of listening to this broadcast and go out and try to buy all of them that you can find. And this is one that's very commonly available in the U.S. And uh, if you got the choice between this one and Deep Sea Adventure or Insider or Fake Artist Goes to New York, start with the other ones. Right. The components are still beautiful. It has interesting 
it's an interesting idea. I just don't think it was executed as well as some of the other games on this list. But I would like to play it again and at least get it in front of you and see your kind of thoughts on it. Oh, I'd absolutely love to try it. To yeah, for sure. Into it. Mm-hmm. Right. I've heard so, the I've heard the rules are a little weak too. That there's some yeah. lo- there's some loopholes in there where it's kind of well, what do I do in this case? It doesn't really say right. Yeah, because you're building a triangle and there's some weird placement rules. But yeah, that's Pyramid's Deadline by Jun Sasaki, published in 2016. The next one is one that is also widely available in this in the in the United States, and it's called Insider. It's produced in or was first published in 2016 by Kwaji, Dachi Okano, Kitoshima. Akahiro Ito. God, my Japanese is the worst. I tried my best. I'm sorry, Japan. But the gist of this game is we've talked about it briefly before. It's 20 questions the game with someone who is trying to hide. So it's a secret hidden role game. So one person's the master, one person's the insider, everybody else is just commoners. And what you're going to do is you're going to deal with these little tiles and the master's going to reveal themselves. Everybody's going to look at what their role is and then never show anybody. Then they're going to shuffle up a deck of cards and they're going to say, okay, every commoner close their eyes. Once the commoners close their eyes, including or everybody close your eyes besides the master, that's what the master is going to say. He's going to flip over the top card and there's going to be a number and a word on the back of that card. The number refers to which one of the words that you're actually going to select on this thing. And then you're going to memorize that. Whoever's the master, the master is then going to close their eyes and they're going to say, okay, the insider can now open up their eyes. The insider is now going to look at that word then he's going to close his eyes then the master is going to say i'm going to open up my eyes the master opens up his eyes and he looks at it so the gist of it is the master and the insider know what the word is now it's a game of 20 questions with everyone asking the master in rapid fire order either or questions so yes no questions to try to figure out what this thing is with racing against a sand timer the insider wins if you can guess the word or if the group guesses the word and then after we guess the word Everyone votes, including the master, trying to out the insider. Yeah, the insider is really trying to help you get to the answer as quickly as possible without giving himself away. Correct. So a lot of so times you ask leading questions. Right. And you you really end up voting at the end on, geez, who asked the question that was just a little too on the nose? Like, right. Who is that guy that suddenly said, is it a musical instrument? <laughs> when the word is guitar. Yeah, out of the blue thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're usually one or two steps away that make someone do that. The downside of this game is the action of actually answering the 20 questions and trying to figure out what the master's word is, is just really fun that it's tough to like hold back and be like, okay, I'm not going to ask all these questions to try to figure out what the word is because we need the insider to lead us. Yeah, there there might be another downside to this game too. Yeah, well, there is a downside <laughs> to this game if you don't like 20 questions. I like 20 questions. I think what we might do is we've done a couple of little house rules to play this game that have made it a little bit better. One of the ways is the person who's the master actually points at people and then they have to ask a question. So the master is kind of almost GMing the game, trying to figure out who's who. And so they're going to ask people certain things. And sometimes that's a fun way to kind of get people lost asking random questions because maybe the person will he'll point to the insider a couple of times and they'll go down this weird rabbit hole that's very specific quickly on questions. But it's it's fun. I know this isn't one of your favorites, Mark. No, but the important note to take home here is your enjoyment of this game will be directly in tied to your enjoyment of 20 questions. I do not enjoy 20 questions at all. So therefore, Insider is not my favorite. But it, the, the conceit behind the Insider is extremely clever. It's a beautifully designed game. And if you do like 20 question styles games, you'll love it. And I would heartily recommend it. 
not for me, just because I don't care for 20 questions. And at the end of the day, it's 20 questions. Right. And I find this game to be a kind of fun icebreaker. If you're kind of with a, with a group of friends that are just kind of drinking, grabbing just some beers or something, it's fun to do. It's almost kind of fills the same niche as Cards Against Humanity, where you're kind of just chatting with each other and pointing to people and doing some stuff without the baggage that the bad game, a.k.a. Cards Against Humanity, carries with it. <laughs> Um, by the way, this is also uh, there's a very similar game that came out at exactly the same time called Werewords, and there was the, <laughs> they're extremely similar games. So you know if you can't find a copy of Insider, you can get much the same experience out of playing Werewords, from what I hear. Yeah, there was a little bit of drama there too because it was released a year later, 2017 sure. versus Insider was released in 2016. But I don't know, it's such a simple idea. I can totally understand two people coming up with the same thing. Yep. But yeah, get yep. this game. It's in the small little box. It's probably the most activity game compared to like a game game here. Yeah, I would and agree what with I mean that. by that is it's kind of just something you do to pass the time. And then you, you decide, oh, let's you do don't this really now. keep score. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a way to win it. It's it's always one of my most played games every year because I record it and I don't actually record it enough because I keep on playing over and over and over again. But sure. Um, number 15 is one of my most played games out of all of the Oink titles. Uh, this is originally a Reiner Knizia game, which is way out of print. And uh, I've never seen the Reiner Knizia version of it, frankly. Uh, this is the 2016 release Twins. Twins is probably the most gambly game of all of them, that if you're a poker player, you'll love Twins. There's four rounds. Each round has a different set of rules and a different win condition. And you have some... You have cards that have funny suits on them, like they have different colors on them and they have white and black tops. And depending, uh, there's different ranks on there, depending on two cards that you play down. So there's twins and there's pairs and there's, uh, you know, just two random cards. And what will happen is like in round one, you'll get a thing where the top two uh, hands that are played out there will take two out of the center pot. Then the next one is the bottom three people will contribute three coins to the center pot. Then the third round is whoever the lowest one will contribute two coins and be out of the game. And then the last one is whoever has the top score just takes it all. Here's the thing. There's four rounds. You have eight cards. You have to pick which cards you're going to play in which round to try to optimize that. And if you have kind of a uh, kind of a gross hand, you can actually just punt and go out early and try to win one of the earlier rounds that nobody else is trying on. So it's really a right. hand management. When am I going to play my cards for what trick to try to win the money? The other thing you can do is you can throw more money in the pot to get two extra cards if you want to try to improve your hand. But the risk is, is am I going to win all of that back just by getting two extra cards? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. And you typically play several rounds of it. And being somebody that does like both trick-taking games and poker, I, I love this one right from the start. And this is one of the first oinks that I kind of went out of my way to try to find an import. Right. No, I think this one's great too. My main complaint with this game is maybe not well-founded. I want the order of what wins what to change in between different rounds and it just maybe a deck of five cards that would have different rounds because every single round it does the same thing and it feels a little samey of, oh, you're going for the early strategy. Oh, you're doing this then. I just like a little bit mix up then and maybe certain hands would do anything. So sure, sure. But yeah, Twins is a great game. Curious to see what... Uh that would actually do to the game but again if you can find it uh, and you like those types of things it, th this is totally a game too that i think personally i can say it works well with our family and the everybody kind of bidding in the coins and stuff like that and trying to win the pot um if your family's like that that likes you know throwing quarters in and playing uh playing rummy or something like that this is a, totally up your alley love this game all right so the next one is a 2017 release 
It is designed by Reiner Knizia. It's modern art. Modern art was originally released in 1996, I believe, or maybe 1994. Because we found game. out it's it's gotten 10 releases by different people over the oh, years. Way more than 10. I mean, it's a, has this game is a, a classic. So in modern art, what you're doing is you're just doing different. You're bidding on different art. You are different art galleries and you're bidding on different art, which then drives up the value of the art when you sell them out in four seasons. So there's four hands that you're going to play and then you refill up your hand to a certain level where you get new cards and then you get paid out for your certain cards that you sold that were in your gallery. But what's cool about this game is it's an auction game and there's four different types of auctions in the game. And whenever you're the auctioneer, you get to play one different card and every card has a certain kind of auction on it. So the Oink version of this game is, I think, the most beautiful. Some people will say that the Korean version is the most beautiful, but I love the Oink version. It fits with our weird Oink obsession. I would furthermore say that of the Oink games, maybe the most beautiful Oink game. Yeah. And that's saying a lot because all the Oink games are beautiful. I think that that's the most beautiful Oink game. I saw yours for the first time last night. I might have ordered a copy of it today. (laughs) Yeah. And so this one was only released or Modern Art was only released to buy Oink into the French and German markets, I believe. Um, It's been released in the America by Cool Mini or not, or the people that have it now. Um, it was also produced by Mayfair back in the day. It's a great auction game. It's probably one of the best lightweight auction games you can get. And it's just beautiful. So what I ended up doing is I and I told Mark to do this. I ended up buying my copy from France. I bought it from a game store in France that'll ship anywhere for 20 euro. So I bought this one and money bags, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. And also this uh, this is one of the one of the two that's in a double size box that in dib dib. Yep. So it's twice as twice as wide as the other one. Yes, not as deep. There is one weird deep one, which will come up later, but Modern art, it's a beautiful game. Get whatever copy you can. For sure. Now we're kind of getting into the new school Oink games, the ones that came out after we started collecting Oink. Um, This is kind of the line where we started collecting them. And so all of these have come out since then. And uh, we've sought them out when they came out. And this is one that I believe you pulled back from Gen Con. Or did I get this one in Japan? I think you got this in Gen Con. I I got this at Gen Con. And it, it was my game of the year from Gen Con. And it was a new release at Gen Con that year. Uh, This one is called Troika, also designed by Jun Sasaki. This one is a rummy style game where you're trapped on a planet and there's a bunch of upside down chips. You grab chips out of the center and you can either put them into your hand or you can put them face up on the table or you can exchange one from that's out on in the center for one that's on there. And when you exchange it, if it's one of your face up tiles, you leave it face up so you can grab one of the face up ones. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get a set of three of the kind. That's your fuel. And you have to have your fuel to get off the planet. And you're also trying to get a set of three in a row, which is really what you're scoring. Now, here's the trick. The trick is, is that you're actually scoring the rightmost digit of the highest number in the set. I think I got that right. Yeah. For example, if you had a 12, 13, 14 you'd score four for that because it's the rightmost digit of the highest number. If your highest number was a nine, guess what? You scored nine points. <laughs> so, yeah, so everybody's fighting for those low ones. Yeah, so your best, your, the ones everybody wants are the seven, eight, nine because that's your highest scoring set of gems that you're bringing back with you. I love this game. This is one that's super fun that uh, is constantly in my box of holding as well. Beautifully designed. Um, this is sort of this, I think this is almost the start of their geometric era. Yeah, because a lot of the games have the same design language as Troika, where it's these sort of geometric looking aliens on them. 
And so I don't know if there's a particular artist that started doing that for them, but many of the games after this, I'm thinking of like uh, Toma Tomato and Zogan, have a very similar design language to it. No, absolutely. And they all have a cohesive design language, but I completely agree with that kind of idea and takeaway on this one. Yeah, so it's just gin rummy with these special little tokens. So you're just trying to get them, get them first, and you get off and you play a couple of rounds, you get a certain amount of points, depending on how many, if you're the first, second, or third guy or didn't leave the planet. If you did not get off, you get no points. No points for you, but Troy Cats. And after the, after, the third, after the third round, you add up your points, highest points wins. And I actually misspoke. This was not my game of Gen Con 2017. One later was. Just one. Okay, that, well, the, the word be known. <laughs> I thought you were talking we'll about We'll get to that one. one. Okay, number 18 is the last one that we have not personally seen. Looks kind of fun, though. It's called Tricks in the Phantom. It's a deduction game except for the fact that there is a phantom who attempts to confuse you. This one's beautiful. I don't know. It's sort of clue meets werewolf meets, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, it it's interesting about it. It says it's a strategy inference game that requires you to read each other's psychology. Oh, um, I don't know if we should do that together, Mark. <laughs> that might be too I much. Don't know. I don't yeah, know. I don't know if psychology. this one's... I'm not sure if this one's for me. However, I do tend to do well at games I'm playing the player rather than trying to rain man out card counting. Right. Yeah. So no. maybe I do well at this game, and but honestly, it doesn't sound like one right. for me. We love these games so much. It's available in one of the times we're going to one of the stores that we're going to mention later. So maybe we'll pick it up later. But yeah, I gonna say, make no mistake. One of us will end with a book within our collection at some right. point. Legitimately at Gen Con, I made sure I could buy. I got all of the games I could from Oink. Mm hmm. So, yeah, for sure. That was a funny experience, too, because I happened to see the yen balance on their PayPal account. <laughs> on day it four on Gen Con. So many zeros. Jeez. Yeah, they sold a they sold an awful lot of little oink boxes there. Let me tell you. Right. Those are the best games. Now we actually do have my game of 2017. Gen Con, it is startups. So this is designed by Jun Sasaki, our man. And what you're doing in this game is there's a whole deck of different companies, and there's certain numbers of them depending on that. But you're starting little startups. And they have the most cute little names and they kind of tie in with the number. So Eight is Octocoffee, nine is Hippopotamus Power, ten is this Mars thing, but you're doing all these kind of outlandish, cutesy little companies and you're investing in them. And the way that this is represented is there's a deck of certain number of cards and there's a certain frequency of each card depending on what number it is. So there's five fives, four fours, all the way up to ten tens in that. And each number is a suit and a company. They're all the same. And what you're going to do on your turn is you have three cards in your hand, you're going to play a card and you're going to discard a card. I'm sure we've all played a game like that. If you played in front of you, that is now a card that you're investing in. If you're the majority shareholder, which means you have the most shares of that game or of that of that company, pardon me, you are the president of it, which gets you some privileges, but some downtrack, um, some issues with that. Or if you don't want to play in front of you, you can discard it in front um, to the market. What that does is if it's anybody actually going to draw a card from the market, they have to take the ones that are face up. Or if they want to draw from the pile, they have to put a money coin on each one of the, the face up shares. And the goal of the game is to get the most money by investing in these things. But you actually get paid out the end by all the minority shareholders in the company. So if Mark has three shares of a company that I have four shares in, he pays me one coin for each share that he has. Yeah, so he'd pay me out of three. My pocket. So out of your pocket. The closer I am to him, you know, it's not so bad if you have one worst. share and they have four. That's not too bad. Yeah, but if you, you are trying to take it over and you don't quite succeed. 
it's uh, you pay awful. handsomely for that. Well, and the other awful. thing, <laughs> right? And the other thing that's really cool about it is you actually pay me one per each one of your shares, but all of the dollars flip over and they have threes on the back. And so his payment of three to me is actually worth nine now. And the goal is to get the most money. So you only want to invest in companies that you think you can really, really get the majority of, or at least tie. So then you don't have to pay anybody something. But it's great. It's super thinky. It's, I think, one of the deeper games that exists yep. by by these people. By, by I the would for games. sure. Yeah, this is the this is the deepest game of the bunch for sure. Right. And I've actually, I don't know if I've shown you this because it might have been before we. Uh, I don't think it was this Gen Con. I think it was the previous one. But they have a little coffee cup that was available. Oh, that I have, was Octo yes, Coffee. I have you seen have that. seen that? Okay, this was that Gen Con. This was this past Gen Con. And they made a little. One of the companies in this game is Octo Coffee, and they made a little coffee cup that said Octo Coffee, and I bought it, and it's my favorite coffee mug. I drink it all the time. Yeah, I deeply hate coffee, and I covet your coffee mug. So oh, it's the I, best. I may, I may just steal it if I see it around. So sometime. cool. Yeah, I, I asked one of the uh, workers at the booth. I said, "What's your favorite game?" And again, as I said earlier, all these most most of the people that were at the booth were from J- Japan, and she didn't speak the best English with me, but she was like, this one, my favorite. And I was like, I am 100% going to buy this one. And she was 100% right. It's awesome. My favorite. Yeah, I love it. And this is a mean, this can be a mean game too, because you can absolutely burn some people down <laughs> on this game, make their Easily. investments worth nothing, may them pay you a bunch. This game can get vicious. And right. uh, I, this is one of my favorites on the list by far. And I also believe that this one is uh, pretty commonly available here in the US. So, that sounds fun to you. Go seek a copy out for sure. You'll yeah, love it. It's way more widely available than the other ones. It's probably the fourth most available behind Deep Sea Adventure, Insider, and Fake Artist Ghost in New York. So uh, the next one, uh, not so available here in the U.S., but it kind of is in a weird way. This one, again, I found without really knowing what it was, probably the weirdest looking oink box by far. This one has, this one was uh, designed by one Antoine Bauza, which is a pretty famous Euro game designer. Uh, Seven Wonders, I think, is one of his designs. Oh, I hope I'm right on that one. I'll, I'll edit that out if I'm not. <laughs> I'll Google it. No, you don't get to edit it out. You keep my dumb statements. Oh, for on. sure. Woo! I should have probably looked that one up ahead of time. Uh, anyway, it's called Dungeon of Mandom Eight, and I'm going to be honest with you, Jake. I feel like I should wear my leather chaps when I visit Dungeon of Mandom Eight. <laughs> You're not going to be punished either, Mark, because you are right. He is yes! the designer of Seven yes! Wonders. You are right. We have content. <laughs> we know things. Woo! We're actually experts in something, yeah. briefly. Anyway, what, <laughs> the reason I'm joking about this one, it is actually, it's in a pretty cool, almost leathery looking black box with uh, gold writing on it. And it is a re-implementation of Welcome to the Dungeon, which, okay, you, you're not going to find the Japanese version of Dungeons of Mandom here. I bought this one in Tokyo at Yellow Submarine Games. And it's beautiful. I love the design ethos of it. It's way cooler looking than Welcome to the Dungeon by a a huge margin. Absolutely. So the idea behind Welcome to the Dungeon is you have a character and you have some weapons with you, some special that have some special powers and you have some hit points and your device, your things give you hit points as well. So what you start doing is you start by building the dungeon by adding monsters to it and then you fight your way through the monsters and you can discard weapons to get rid of monsters and not put them in the dungeon deck. But the problem is those things you discard take away your hit points also and some of your special abilities. So if you make it through the stack of monsters successfully and get to the treasure on the bottom, congrats, you get the treasure. And if you run out of hit points before you get to the treasure, you are out. You get strike one and then you get one more shot at it. And if you get strike two, then you are out. And it's uh, kind of last man standing. Whoever is left at the end there and has the most treasure is the winner of that game. Right. Well, and also one thing to briefly mention is... 
Mark does not own a character. The entire table owns a character. And so you're all bidding to see when someone's going to pass out. And once everybody passes and there's only one person left, then that person has to go through the dungeon with whatever amount of items he may or may not have or she, depending on what hero it is. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, the odd thing about this one is this was a Japan only release, not available, not was never released in Europe. It was never released in the U.S. Like every Oink game, with the exception of modern art, it is actually translated in English in the directions. But not all the cards are translated in English. So the monster cards, like the special monsters, are only written in Japanese. And it turns out to not be that much of a problem. There is a translation on the rule sheet. So you can read, oh, that's the troll and that does XYZ. So it's not that bad. But one of the few games that isn't lang- completely language independent. Right. But there is an even better solution. Yellow picked up this game and published it under the name Welcome to the Dungeon and Welcome Back to the Dungeon as the expansion. And it actually was originally released by Oink in 2013. And then Yellow picked it up a year after. And they publish sure. it for pretty much everywhere and else. Downside of that is the yellow version is in nice American size, big it's chunky huge. boxes, which are way bigger well, you have to than punch you need out for the this sprues. game. You have to punch out your own sprues and it's sure huge (laughs) sure so you know if you want to play this game easily and commonly and cheaply if i might add available with by yellow called welcome to the dungeon and if you are a oink nerd like we are you go find dungeons of mandem 8 and uh, import yourself a copy absolutely that's 2017's dungeons of mandem by antoine bowser absolutely so the next one is a recent... We're into Gen Con 2018 now. I know, and we did well. We got all of them that were available. The next one is kind of a variation on Nine Tiles. It feels very similar in my mind. Um, and it's called Zogan. It was released in 2018. It's by Christoph Kanzler, which is someone we haven't seen before, and Anya Red. Again, I don't know what language that is. <laughs> yeah, plainly they licensed this from right, somebody. absolutely. Those those names do not sound as Japanese as the other ones. So one that you're doing in this game is there's everyone has the same deck of cards. And the only difference is your back is a different color to indicate who owns what card. Every card has one combination of four symbols. So we call them the moon, the circle. It's supposed to be the mountain, but we call it the butt. And then the I think it's a heart. I can't remember the other one, but there's. There's four little symbols, and they're supposed to be bacteria. Right. They're named Maro, Suki, Yama, and Siri. Wow, you did it all. FYI. See, because it's funny, in the English translation, they, they they do say the um, different names for it, and we'd use all of them except for butt, which is, I think, supposed to be mountain. There's one card that is all four of them, then there's four cards that have three of them and all the different combinations, then same thing down for all the two of all the different combinations, and there's one of each one of the four, and then finally there's one card with nothing on it. Someone is going to flip over the top card of their deck, then everyone's going to shuffle up their cards, they're going to look at them, and then you can play a card as long as the only difference on it in symbols is one from the one that was previously down. So if, for example, one is butt and you have... Meaning one more or one less symbol. So if there's just the butt one down, you could either lay a blank, and when you lay down the blank, you or the next card, you say what's different between the two. So if I were to lay down a blank on top of a butt, I'm going to say butt, which just makes the game very funny. Or if I were to have one with are we moon. Gonna have to, are we going to have to beat I don't know. this out? <laughs> People are going to think one. that I'm saying way worse <laughs> things than I actually am. But then if it's butt and mount or button star or something, you put down the button star card and you say star. And it's a fun little game. It's super fast. It plays up to six. It kind of feels like 
nine tiles where people are just kind of frantically doing it. And the person that wins is the first person that gets rid of all the cards in their deck. I'm mainly worried about this game getting damaged more than the other ones because you oh, do, 100%. You do slap nine tiles, the main card, but there's no issue in the cards that you're putting down being marked. And then the tiles actually in nine tiles are very robust and I don't think they'd actually be hurt. But in Zogan. Yeah, the big difference with nine the big difference with nine tiles is you're trying to just slap it and put your hand on there. In but Zogan, you're there's jamming. A difference. There's a big you're difference. Jamming in. And so I like it, but you can have multiple ram into each other and then you bend the freaking back of the card. But I thought it was an awesome game. I mean, for what it is and for how cheap it is, and I think it's pretty readily available. Again, we'll talk about availability in a little bit. But Zogan's pretty well accessible. It plays really fast. It kind of feels like one of those games where if you see what's happening, you do it. And it's one of those games that builds a commotion because everyone's shouting, moon, uh, sun, moon, or whatever. And they also have a variant in it. If you win, you get to rename one of the symbols. So it makes it a whole memory game, too, to because now everything. Know. Pizza. pizza. Oh, God, what the hell is pizza? And then you make someone's name on it. Corvette. Uh, yeah, pizza. you make the dogs. <laughs> Navy. And all of a sudden, it's just a sense of madness. But Zogan's super fun. It's really lightweight. Um, It's a great little game that people could see. I just... Me and my family have actually talked. We like it so much about getting some custom cards printed with the same kind of symbols on them and just making it almost be like a big pile of deck of cards because there's I think you did the math sometime. It's like 16 cards per color, something along those lines. Not that much. You could get four or five card uh, colors in a deck. I was a little more moderate on this one. It's it's fine. Um, Maybe I was just bad at it. Um, It was okay. Yeah, you, you might be. And it also could be one of those things where my family loves nerds. And this feels a lot like sure. Nerds or Dutch Blitz, which is speed solitaire for those who don't know the by the name. Yeah, that's that's Zogan. I, I thought it was fun. The next one is a game we we all wanted and did not deserve. Oh, my God. It's incredible. And 2018 was easily the year of the roll and write. And it was easily it, it also was the year that we really deep dove into 18 XX yeah. games. And little did we know that in 2018, they were going to release a roll and write 18 XX small block oink game. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Had to have it when well, I saw it's it. It's not that. Con. It's also worker placement. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's worker placement. It's also uh, it's set building. Yep. It's hand management as well. Well, de- and dexterity. Oh. I mean, you got to fl- you got to flick to claim the well, track. You obviously have to flick. That's how I play 1867. And then also, people don't realize it's also deduction. Oh, secret yeah, rolls. Yeah, you got secret rolls in it. I think it's roll to move too, right? For sure. Yep. Especially, uh, you know, I think they would have made, made it better if they had the little popper mechanism from from sorry right. or whatever that is. Well, no, and I, I thought it was going to be like <laughs> the pop. It was actually it had all of the components of rat trap in it as well, or mouse trap. So when you said that sure. Up. <laughs> Before we get too far off base here, what we're talking about is 2018's Void, which we both got at Gen Con. We had to ask about it, and I think we <laughs> had to do a little secret dance and use the password and, you know, the secret handshake to get. Actually, the first time I went there, they denied its existence, but I knew I knew they had it. Um, second time I went back, I kind of pleaded and said the right things, apparently, because the guy reached underneath the table and pulled this anonymous weird white teal and black box out that just says void on it and uh i i I chuckled to myself and flipped out 25 dollars. so what the heck is void void is oink games trying to punk everybody (laughs) it's not a game it's an art project the idea is that you invent a game or you invent something that looks like a game and sounds like a game and then you social media a picture of it along with the description of what it is 
and you hashtag it with hashtag void right. game. And inside the box, and you see right. the you, inside the box is a whole bunch of components. So it looks like a real game. Yeah, there's weird parallelograms. There's some. There's a dry erase marker. There's some. There's tokens. like this weird there's, like. It looks almost like a like a weird half colored sheet thing. That's a big grid. It has everything. Yeah, there's a dry erase board in there. So the idea is that you make something, you make a fake game, you put it out there, you talk about how, woof, boy, we barely got this done under the time limit, or wow, great new rolling right. right. And you see who takes the bait and asks about it. I got a whole bunch of people on the heavy cardboard slack with this one where I made a I made an 18xx out of it and said it was an 18xx rolling right, posted it out there. And I had a ton of people asking me, where'd you right. get that? Oh, I can't what believe it. That's awesome. Yeah, so. Check out our Instagram to see a picture of it. It's it's hilarious. The, the whole point of this game is that social media doesn't give you any real content or anything that actually makes you happy. And so it's yep. just a void. It's a void. It's a void of actual <laughs> yeah. meaning. And also, if you want to see some of the fun things people have done with this, search out hashtag void game, I believe it yep. is. And You'll be able to see some of the other things that people have made, and they're they're brilliant. I mean, the descriptions that people have put on there, I'm just dying laughing watching because I know the right. joke, and now you do too. Ha-ha. Yeah, it's, it's it's cute, and the components are fun. I think someone on BGG will at some point in time make it an actual game, and they'll be the person that actually wins Void, <laughs> the person that made it into a real yeah, game for sure. And and the winner is the one that actually gets retweeted the most or has right. the most something along you know, those lines. Social media juice, right? Around yeah, it, I don't sure. recommend buying this game, but as an art piece. I think it's really neat. And as a weird little oink collector, it's funny because I don't think either me or you are really collectors of things, but these oink games have just no. taken us a certain way. Yeah, they've they've both they've both taken our hearts and, <laughs> and our yeah. pocketbook. Oh, well, got to be something. All right. Also in the category of games that yeah, you maybe want to think twice about buying. Yeah. Jake? Toma Tomato. It's not a very good one. So this is a very interesting game. Well, I will say it's my daughter yeah. loves this game. And I'm game, keeping by the it because I got a little bunch of little cousins. I think I'm going to try to play it with sometime um, at the cabin this summer. But in Toma Tomato, it's actually a tongue twister game. It was released in 2018 by Taisei Kato, and the gist of it is, I think a lot of words in Japanese sound the same. That with the mato or tomato thing, not pronounced like tomato, but tomato with a more even inflection on it. They sound very similar. So there's a whole bunch of these different tiles that you flip over and you keep on adding them to this line. And it's like, to, 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 mato, 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 to, mato. And you sing all these things in a certain order because all these different combinations exist. And it's a tongue twister. Oh, not to mention Yeah, potato is one of them. Or potato. Yeah, potato. And then <laughs> like, there's also ones that reverse it. It's, I think, more interesting in a Japanese market because it does actually say in the English rule book, pronounce this with a little bit of a Japanese accent and make it more evenly inflected because apparently we can just say like toe, tomato, 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 and it's a lot easier for us or something. But I haven't actually given it a fair shake. Well, yeah. So tomato is actually right. tomato. Ma is right. devil. Ma toe is target. Toe is door. And potato is potato. So you're actually saying like, you know, tomato, devil, door, target, door, right. door, devil, devil, target. But just potato. because you're saying different very <laughs> variations of tomato to us, at least, or maybe to maybe the English speaker, maybe it is this way in Japanese, too. It didn't really get that hard. And so I played it once just kind of like saying to tomato and you're supposed to go pretty fast, but it's hard to do. So the real game, the actual game is where when somebody screws up, you if you get it right, then you put out more tiles and you get it right. You keep going until somebody gets right. it wrong. And that's really actually just a timing mechanism, because then what everybody does is they say one, two, three, and you point at a tile 
And if you're the only one pointing at that tile, you get to keep that in your tile set. If more than one person's pointing at that tile, neither of you get it and it goes out of the game. How you actually score at this game is at the end of the game, after so many rounds, you get points for every time you can spell the word tomato. So you're trying to tomato. So you're trying to get the the pieces of the word tomato. And there's like an extra, the tiebreaker, who is, is whoever has the potato card. So that's really where the game comes in. The whole tongue twister thing is a timing to sort of build that. And then it's a speed game to point for something that nobody else is trying to get or you're trying to read the table and get that and pull it out. Like I said, my daughter well, loves it's, this it, game. It's, so it's probably great for kids, you times. know, it's just a fun little tongue twister thing. It is actually kind of fun. Yeah, the the picking which one to point at and not point at is a little more interesting than you'd All think. Right. Yeah, no, I let's get this to the table again. Maybe play it as a quick little filler and we can replay it because I'd like to play it again and actually give it a fair shake. Sure. The next one that we have here is actually my newest game, and it is Moneybags. This was released in 2018, but it was not released at Gen Con. Um, so this one actually came in the same package as my copy of Modern Art. And not released in the yes, US. Not yet. I think it will be, though. And so what you're doing in this game is you are a bunch of villains who are together and you're splitting up the booty from some big hall. And so everybody has these, your own little bag. It plays up to six people. And there's this guy who's the boss. The boss has all the gold. And then he takes all your little bags and he puts a certain amount of gold in there. Just like the other games, this actually comes with real metal components, real metal coins. And it also comes with a diamond. And then he's going to distribute all these coins. He kind of wants to make sure he keeps the most. But then we go around twice. And on your turn, what you can do is you can do one of three things. You can pass or you can steal from somebody or you can cinch up your bag and say, "Okay, I think I have the most coins because the goal of this is to have the most coins. What you can do when you steal is you reach into someone's bag and you grab any number of coins, zero through all of them. Then you secretly and try to dexterity bring it back over to your bag and then you count down from five. If you count down to zero before they say challenge, you got whatever you stole. If they say challenge, then what you do is you dump out both your bags, including what you've stolen from the guy, and add it to your your, your thing, and you pile it up. If the person challenges and the thief has less money, they take the person who challenged entire collection of money. But if they challenge and the thief has more money, then they take the most. So you're challenging to say that you think that the thief has more money in their bag than you do. Right. You're trying to apply that the the, the cut of the booty wasn't equal and you should have a greater right. share. And if somebody's trying to rip you off, then you get their money and they're out of right. the game. Yeah, this was fun. We just we played this one last night for the first time. Did not get a chance to play more than one round of it, which is kind of a shame because we were just starting to catch right. on to the uh, the metagame around it. Interesting challenge in that you can't just release the stuff into your bag because if you have a loud clank, everybody knows you have a lot and they can come raid you. And... I also had a weird challenge in that I have like, you know, Palma basketball, huge hands. And it was, it was somewhat difficult for me to get my hand all the way in enough to grab enough coins stealthily. Yeah, You know, I could grab coins, but it was real obvious that I was just getting a big old handful of coins. So to them stealthily, was right, which I, I, I think that should be a whole part of the game, Mark. You know, it's it's almost a dexterity game and the same thing. And there is a couple of rules. Sure. Yeah, no, I was, I was right. okay yeah, with there it. There's a couple of rules, too, about how you can't hold the bag in a certain way. So just because it's your bag, you can pick it up at the top and shake all you want. But you cannot, like, fondle the bottom of the bag and squeeze it to figure out how many actually coins you have in there. And you can never look in your own bag to figure out how much it is. But I thought it was great. I think we're going to play it a lot yeah. more. And this one's a little weird shaped. It's really deep compared to the other oink games. It's like two oink boxes stacked, stacked on top of each other. Yeah, it's the fattest it's so oink fat. box. And even then, <laughs> I don't know how 
It doesn't oh, close. God, no. It doesn't even come close to closing. And I don't know how you'd ever get all that stuff back. Like, I'm not sure how it came in there in the first right. place. I, it somehow was fully shrink wrapped and everything. I'll have to figure it out. But money bags, I think it's great. I think it's going to get a wider release. The components in it are beautiful and it's it's a fun little game. Yeah, this is one of those that I can't believe they were able to deliver that for 25 yeah. bucks. That one, well, that one 16 seems under euro, right? 16 euro today. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Holy cow. All right. The final one is also a Gen Con release. This one is called Flotsam Flight. Uh, this one is somewhat available here in the U.S. The idea behind Flotsam Flight is that you have a bunch of boats. You're trying to load treasure on your boats and get rid of your hand. So there's a little bit of an Uno bit to it, I would say. So there's 10 boats. You can only load the number of boats equal to the number of players. And each boat has a number on it. And you have cards in your hand that are like 1 through 99 or something like that. And it has the all the factors on there, like all the ways it's divisible. So 80 card would be divisible by 2, 4, 5, mm-hmm. 10, and so on and so forth. And so what you can do is you can only load it into boats that it contain one of those factors. So the 80 card could be loaded on the 2, the 4, the 8, the, you know, so on and so forth. But you can only load up four boats. So if, so if you have 21 and the boats that are being loaded are 2, 4, 8, and 10, you have no way of getting that card because 21 is divisible by none of those. Once everybody's passed and can't load any more boats, then you clear the cards off and you have a chance to pick for new boats out of the 10 that are available. If you have the last card available, even if everybody passes out, you can still play that card. And if you're the last one to play the card, you win if you're out first. Now, like Uno, if you have the last card and you don't go out, then you get to draw two more cards out of the deck and you're back up to three. I like this game a lot. Um, Jake and I have played this one and it does not play well with two. Um, Let me tell you. Yeah, we need to play this game a lot. I think the design of it's beautiful. It's one of the busier looking games compared to their other kind of really minimalist design style. But it had great gameplay and I really want to play it again. I think we'd like it a lot. Yeah, I like this game quite a bit, but when I played it with a higher player Well, with all these beautiful roll and rights that came out this year, it seems like those ones are really taking our lightweight, quick filler game spot. The Oinks have taken a bit of a beating on getting to the table just because of all the great roll and rights that came out this year. But let's change that in 2019. And for the listeners, how do you get these games, Mark? That is the big question. And so it is a small publisher from (laughs) Japan, so you can't get all of them as easily as you can get regular games, but you still can find them. I mean, at our local friendly local game stores, I think you see them. You definitely see them at fantasy flight games, which is where we play for the most part. And you can find them on cool stuff. Inc. You can find them on Amazon us. And you can also, they usually have a booth at Gen Con. So swing by, they usually have a small little booth. And I think they had six games this year. You can also find certain different ones, depending on what one it is. You have the best chance of finding Deep Sea Adventure, which is the one which is a push your luck game. The Insider one, which is 20 questions. And then there's also Fake Artist Goes to New York, which is where you're drawing. Those ones are the easiest ones to find, but it, they'll kind of pop up everywhere. You'll also find the Pyramid uh, one. You'll find Mask Man right. once in a while. Inner Grove is somewhat available right. here in the States, too. So those are games that you will actually see on the shelf at lo- right. friendly local game stores. Now, having said that, okay, boy, I really want a copy of Nine Tiles. Uh, I heard you guys rave about that one. Boy, that sounds like something that I got to have. That's not available at my local game store or Amazon US. Where do I get one? Well, Oink actually maintains a website for international shipping. It's called Gumroad, G-U-M-R-O-A-D. And that's at gumroad.com slash oinkgames. 
And they actually have most of their titles available at normal prices, plus a little bit of shipping. So you can get a copy of Nine Tiles there right now. Most of these titles are actually available from there if you're willing to go to that website and pay for shipping and so forth and wait a couple of weeks and right. you will have a copy of that. Jake, have you ever ordered anything no, from I've Gumroad? No, I've been meaning actually? to. So it's funny. I didn't know this website existed and I was an idiot and bought my Nine Tiles from some guy in BGG for an additional $18 of shipping. So I think I spent $43 on my copy of Nine Tiles, and I'm looking at it right now on that website for $24.99. Yeah, there's 11 games available there, and uh, they're widely available. They're right in U.S. dollars, so all of them are $24.99. Including rarish titles like Dungeon of Mandem 8 and And, and Nine Tiles. too. Looks like it's getting a new reprint in 2019. Moving forward, there's also Amazon JP, which a couple of our friends have used. And that's actually... Amazon. Yeah, so it's the Japanese version of Amazon and Google will attempt to translate it for you, which works out very funnily. They <laughs> some of the Japanese translations Somewhat, are yes. kind of funny. <laughs> like, for example, uh, the pyramid deadline is no longer called pyramids deadline. It's called pyramid by the time it dies, which is very funny. And <laughs> most of the same ones are available. Um, we've had some of our friends be able to do this. I would be somewhat mindful about knowing whether or not the game actually is going to come with English rules in it. For the most part, I believe they all come with English rules, but browse. Yeah, I think you're okay. All of the, all of the oinks that I bought in Tokyo included both Japanese right. and English rules. So I'm pretty sure you're okay. By the way, also uh, <laughs> uh, money bags is called mail and gold coins, which is hilarious. Yeah. The only reason I bring that up is the submarine exploration game actually doesn't say, or not submarine Explor- exploration, deep sea adventure. Sorry, that's the Japanese translation. It just says Japanese on the front. So I don't know. The other one that's beautiful here that I, I think... Actually, I mean, so does the English release. Oh, really? Oh, I guess I just don't yeah. know. Um, mm-hmm. There is a copy of Nine Tiles that's deluxe, and all of the tiles are actually wood. And it's 6,480 yen. I think I'm going to have to buy that, Mark. I have no control. It's about $65. I'm going to add it to cart. It's about we'll, yen. A yen is about a we'll, penny. So we'll talk about, about this later. And then, as I said at the end, you can get it through BGG Trades. People have them. Um, they're pretty well-desired games from, from Japan. And why don't we close this off with kind of our favorites that we'd like to own? What's a good rundown like this without a list and our kind of our breakdown of we listed a lot of games or we talked about 25 of them. There are definitely ones that float to the top of the pile on that one. So we're going to bounce it back and forth. We already talked about them, so we're not going to do that. We're just going to list them out kind of in rapid fire. My number three that I would recommend owning is Twins because I love the poker betting aspect of it. Absolutely. My number three is Insider. You can play with any group of people. Um, It's really easy to understand what you're doing. And 20 questions, I think, is fun. Number two for me is Deep Sea Adventure. I've had more times where groups have just turned into a loud bullfight screaming crowd, just cheering. And it's been such a fun social event with people that they're just trying to survive that uh, that makes it absolutely worth the money. And it's super available. Absolutely. My number two is startups. If you ever want to feel like you live in uh, San Francisco or in San Francisco in the Silicon Valley and starting a whole bunch of silly companies, get startups. It's one of the better card games that they've made and components are great. I love the way it looks and the little company games are really cute. And it's one of the heaviest ones of the bunch. I agree. uh, Jake, let's do this one in unison. What's number one? Three, Mm. two, one. Nine Nine tiles. tiles. Easy. (laughs) We love nine tiles. That was easy. We, it's it's yeah. it's our best. If you're going to get one on game, buy nine tiles. 
as long as you like speed games. Yep. And get it from Gumshoe. Gumshoe.com slash games is where you find that copy. Um, or I have had friends that multiple friends that have bought it from Amazon.co.jp. And it worked. Uh, we also have a couple honorable mentions. Jake, what are yours? Um, I did Modern Art here. It technically isn't one that's released by them, so it feels kind of weird doing it. But Modern Art's a wonderful auction game. It feels kind of the most traditional board gamey of these Oink offerings. And I think that one's really fun. I also really like Fought Some Flight. I think it's a really good trick-taking, playing, card-playing, ladder-style game. And I'd like to dig into it more. And my final uh, honorable mention is Startups for all the reasons Jake talked about. It's it's heavier. It's a little meaner. It's, you know, a little little sharper elbowed game out of the, all the really fun, friendly Oink games. So absolutely. Anyway, that's uh, A to Z with Oink games. And we love them and hope you do, too, after hearing us talk about them. Aren't we an hour long podcast, Jake? Ah, my God. We said we'd always try to keep it a brisk hour. Oh, well, <laughs> listen to us on 1.5 speed. We'll get back to fast. All right. Right on. Good night, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. If you like the Gaming Moguls Podcast, please tell a friend. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram at Gaming Moguls. Reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. Keep your eyes open for the next episode of the Gaming Moguls, and thank you for listening.